0: You know, there are not many things in life that I would claim to excel at. But I want to put a challenge out right now. I don't believe that there is anybody here who's better at getting lost than I am. I can get lost anywhere. I've been lost in many, many places, including Shetland when we lived there. And let me tell you, that does take some doing. One memory about this, though, that really sticks out in my mind is even earlier than this, it was when my son Daniel was three years old, and he's 30 now, so that tells you, and we were living in Irvine, Newtown. Elaine, obviously feeling for some reason that we needed some exercise, sent us out to the shop together. On the way back, I realized I was totally lost. So I said to Daniel in desperation, Something along the lines of, son, let's play a game. Let's just pretend that you're the dad and I'm the boy. And you show me the way home. He did it. He took me right home. Little did those looking on that day realise that it was actually the big one who was holding on to the little one's hand. But apart from human assistance, particularly from Elaine... (laughs) What's helped me most when I've been lost, confused, and often increasingly concerned, well, it used to be maps, although I'm not the best of map readers either, so that could be a problem. But now, it's sat-nav. I love it. It's not foolproof, as I've literally proved, because sometimes I turn too early, other times I turn too late, and sometimes I just totally ignore what that woman's saying to me. But step by step, you know, it takes you where you need to go. However, for satnav to be able to work properly, there are certain things that have to be given, aren't there? Set, immovable. North, south, west, east. We need to know where these are. Now, what a mess would be in them if, say, these things kept on changing daily. If Theresa May or, or Nicola Sturgeon Set the points of the compass every day. Now, just imagine they both decided to do it and set the compass differently from one another, which I think would definitely happen. What a mess we'd be in. I mean, we could set off, as I used to regularly travel in north, from Aberdeen to Shetland, and we might end up in the south of France. What a disaster. Anyway... Seriously, though, we would be in a mess, we'd be in a muddle, we would soon be totally lost and confused. Well, you know, in the area of morals, in the area of morality, this is largely what has happened in our society. Because, and this is an enormous simplification, but the horrors of the First World War largely destroyed confidence here in our nation regarding the old established order you know, of, our, of our supposed cultural superiority and of the, you know, the inevitable progress of Western society. That was destroyed. But that saying about throwing the baby out with the bathwater is certainly relevant here because, you see, at this time, from the 1920s on, the very fabric of society began to be unpicked. A process of unravelling that certainly I think has greatly increased in speed over the last few years. And this has led to a problem, it's led to a big problem in the area of morals, of morals values. For as a society, we have lost our moral compass. We've lost any kind of real sense of of moral direction. And this is so important. Values are so important. For you see, values are the core beliefs that shape your life. It does matter what you believe, especially what you believe to be important in life. For belief shapes behavior. And behavior ultimately forms your life into what you become what you are. Now you see central to my values, fundamental to my values, to Christian values, which is what is at the heart I hope of my life, is the belief that there is such a thing as truth. Absolute truth. And that there is then such a thing as right and wrong. That is an immovable, non-negotiable fight for me, and I believe should be for every Christian. But you see, that's not been the case in our society in recent years, recent decades. Now, the old value system, the biblical value system, because that's what it was based on, has largely been rubbished and is ignored. However, you know, there's increasing evidence that more and more people are beginning to get at least a little bit uneasy about this. A fairly recent opinion poll run by the Telegraph discovered among a, a whole host of statistics that 74% of people believe standards of honesty are worsening, while 92% believe standards of behaviour to be in decline. And 76% say that they now have less peace of mind than they had in the past. Here's an interesting statistic, though. Only 42% thought that schools should teach the value, the moral value of chastity before marriage. And 47% didn't want the value of chastity, faithfulness, to be held up at all any longer. You see, people want morality, but they want to pick and choose. And there's something even more interesting, I think, than that. 71% of people wanted schools to still teach Christian values. But only 46% wanted them to also teach Christian doctrine. So you see, many people want morality, but they want morality without God the penny still hasn't quite dropped yet, that that is actually a real root problem. T.S. Eliot once said that ours has become the first society to attempt to live without God. And that was a few years ago, many years ago. Why well, I just say to you, read your papers, watch the news, look around you, and it doesn't take too long to see where that has got us. But having said all this, what I want to now attempt to do is substantiate it and explore it and dig beneath the surface and draw out something of its implications. So what we're going to do now is is look this morning at first the cause of moral decline, then the cost of moral decline, and finally the cure for moral decline. So, okay, point one then: what is the cause? Of our moral decline. Well, let me put it as as briefly as I can. It's truth decay. Yes, not tooth decay. It's truth decay. The fact that we no longer really value truth, absolute truth, in our society, in the way that we used to, in the way I believe that we should do. Now, what matters today is convenience. Is it easy? And pragmatism, the practicalities, does it work? People today so often either don't care if something is right and true, or many even doubt actually if there is such a thing as truth. Rather, if something in the here and now is easy and and convenient, and if it seems to, to deliver instant gratification, well, that's good enough. We don't need to look any further. That's how superficial... We've become. Now this is a a big shift. Certainly from 60, 50, 40 years ago and definitely from 100 years ago. Then people seemed to know what was right, wrong and true. There was widespread agreement right across society in regard to these things. Well, so what happened? What went wrong? Well, in the aftermath of the First World War, when, remember we said, people lost confidence in the old order. At that time then, society felt basically for three destructive philosophies to replace that old truth. The first one was individualism. The, I've got to live for myself. Only I can be the standard for my life. Only I can be the judge of what's right, wrong, true, that kind of outlook. Now, the defining cry of this philosophy is, and I'm waiting for it here, I'm sure you've heard it, I've got to do what's best for me. You know, I've lost count of the number of times I've heard or read of that or something similar used in recent years to try and justify what actually is outright selfishness. In recent years, personally, I've known of at least Two mothers with young children running away with somebody, abandoning these children and then saying, I've got to do what's best for me. If I'm happy, they'll be happy. Really? No. And tragically, I've got to say, I've lost count of the number of fathers. I've known do the same. Well, you see, you don't have to look too far, though, to find echoes of this in the Bible. And maybe the most obvious one is the book of Judges, the record of one of the the darkest times in the history of Israel, the people of God, with the recurrent theme in this book being really summed up by its last verse. That in those days, that in the days of the judges, there was no king, there was no authority in Israel. And so every man did what was right in his own eyes. So the result of this then was anarchy. That was the result. That is the breakdown of law and order, the whole fabric of society falling apart, it seems. Surely we're seeing exactly the same thing in our society today. And one obvious sign of this is, you know, I remember when anarchists were just a laughable fringe group. One of my friends joined the the anarchist society, is university, just for a laugh. But, you know, now there are thousands who are ready at the drop of a hat to engage in often violent, process, violent protest. And the image that they've adopted being that, that Guy fox mask, you know, with the, the exaggerated smile, the red cheeks, the upturned moustache. I want to say, I'm not saying that there aren't at times reason for protest of what goes on in our world definitely is. But the way that they protest, the violence they use, the aims of their protest, and the growing numbers ready to engage in this, I think is disturbing. You see, they want to end the rule of law and order, society as we know it. And besides this kind of thought out commitment in this way, well, I, I remember I once worked in Edinburgh, in Wester Hills, in an inner city housing estate. And let me tell you, many of the up-and-coming generation knew little and cared even less about law and order. Right and wrong for them was doing what they as individuals wanted to do. Wrong was getting caught. Looking forward into the future, I think, is a fearful thing. So the first destructive philosophy our society fell for was individualism. The second was secularism. And this one, this can be summed up by the phrase, God is unnecessary. We don't need God. What this is about, effectively, is is about pushing God to the fringes of life at best. Making God, if you like, a kind of Sunday thing. and, And just living the rest of your life the way that we want restricting God's influence to within the walls of church buildings and within the time frame of church services. Where there's a kind of belief in God, maybe, but where life is lived as if we don't need him. And where certainly he's not allowed to interfere in life and where if we say that he is, we're written off as fanatics and extremists. So in the last 40 or 50 years or so, We've seen an ever-accelerating process of removing God from our laws, from our schools, from our ethics, from the media, etc., etc. Just one example. There used to be an inviolable belief in the Western world in the sanctity of life because of the God-given nature of life. Now, I know in Holland, and this is something that's that's coming over into our country, there's a degree of official euthanasia, but now unofficial euthanasia is so widely practiced that many older people in residential homes, etc., are actually afraid of getting a visit from their doctor. So having moved God out of day-to-day life, do you know where most people today, I think, get their morality from? They get it from TV talk shows and by the drip, drip, insidious effect of TV soap shows. I mean, look at programs like Jeremy Kyle in this country, Jeremy, Jerry Springer in America. Look at the array of weird and wonderful people that they wheel out on stage and who are willing to be exploited and ridiculed for their moment of fame. And all the time, many of the viewing audience decide, well, at least I'm not that bad, so I can just carry on living the way I please. And people watch those soaps, Coronation Street, EastEnders, Emmerdale, Hollyoaks, etc. I thought, my childhood, I couldn't get that Coronation Street theme tune out of my head for years. But day after day, week after week, month, year after year, decade after decade, But you know what happens is slowly and subtly for many, without any form of basis and anchor in God, the values that they see there, without anything else feeding in, often become their values. Well, we're moving on now to our third destructive philosophy. And it is relativism. That there is no such thing as absolute truth. No such thing really as right and wrong. It's all relative. It all depends on the person. It all depends on the circumstances. What's true for me might not be true for you and vice versa. What's true today might in other circumstances not be true or right tomorrow. And it's a wonderful attempt at guilt avoidance. And the clarion call of this mindset is the well-known It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. Again, I say, really? Well, you see, I sincerely believe that it's water in this glass in front of me. But what if one of the deacons or stewards on duty today wasn't as happy to see me as I was to see them. And suppose one of them replaced this water with hydrochloric acid. If I, being thirsty, drank that down in one, sincerely believing it was water, then I would be sincerely dead. And here's another example for you. I've got great sympathy for drivers from overseas. Since an experience that I had a number of years ago. I've actually had one or two since. But my first one was in the United States, a number of years ago. I got off the plane, straight into a hire car, and drove for about three hours. And there was no problem at all. But it was night, and it was time to go for a meal and to go to where we were going to be staying for the night. So I turned off the road, and everybody, the whole family, started shouting and screaming. A bit... Disturbed and confused because it was usually only a lane that screamed you when I was driving, I panicked and drew up on a grass verge on the slip road at the side of the road we were on. What's wrong? I shouted. Everyone shouted me, shouted back at me. What's wrong? You were on the wrong side of the road. That's what's wrong. What's wrong? It was true, you see. I'd automatically gone to the left-hand side. A a cold shiver, I want to say, ran down my spine. And looking across the road, a young African-American man had been coming out of a restaurant while all this was on. If there was a shiver down my spine, there was certainly one down his. His chin was literally bouncing off the pavement. Now, you see, I sincerely believed I was on the right side of the road. But suppose someone had been driving towards me and they'd swerved, opened the window and shouted out at me, you're on the wrong side of the road. Would it have helped if I'd shouted out, well, maybe for you, but it's the right side for me. No, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't. Because truth is not relative. It's not wide open. Real truth is not able to mean different things to different people. No, truth is usually narrow, undefined. But you know what is most valued, though, in this kind of society, this climate of relativism? I'm sure you do know. It's tolerance. It's the big thing. It's the greatest thing to be in our society today. That's true, isn't it? Tolerance. Everybody says you've got to be tolerant. And to tell the truth, to tell the real truth, well, often that's viewed as judgmental. And that's the worst label of all in our society, to be narrow. But I want to say to you, that's just not so. It's not judgmental to tell the truth. No, it's kind to tell the truth, even when the truth hurts, even when the truth is hard to hear. So long as we tell the truth from a heart of love, how can it be unloving to show someone what's wrong and to point them back on the right way again? Brother, I want to say it's those who tell you whatever's best for you, dear, whatever makes you happy. It's those who say that when what you're doing either in the short term or the long term will cause disaster to you and to those around you, it's they who are actually being unloving. But for me, what really underlines the the sinister nature of all of this is the way that the, the definition of tolerance has subtly been changed in recent years. You see, tolerance used to mean, I will respect you, I will treat you with dignity, even if I violently disagree with you, strongly disagree with you. The Bible teaches tolerance of that kind. But you see, what tolerance has now come to mean is that every idea in the sun, under the sun, is equally valid and true. Every lifestyle is equally right. We've got to accept anything and everything. Anything goes. Everybody tells you. We've got to be open-minded. Let me tell you again that I think it's possible to be so open-minded that your brains can fall out. But that, though, in my opinion, is the cause of our moral decline. Because as a society, we've fallen for individualism, secularism and relativism. And we've pushed God to the one side. What's the cost, though, of this moral decline? We're going to look at this much more briefly because it's been touched on me already and because also it's really so obvious all around us. I don't think you need a lot of help from me to see this. But remember that quote by T.S. Eliot that I shared with you at the beginning, that we're the first generation to try to live without God. Remember that. We'll listen to this follow-on quote from Rob Warner. He says... The abandonment of an absolute deity leads in time to the abandonment of moral absolutes and the gradual decay of a moral consensus. There can be no final sense of right and wrong, good and evil, without an absolute reference point from which this moral framework is derived. That's his definition. The Bible puts it like this in Proverbs 29:18. That where there is ignorance of God, when a society abandons God, then crime runs wild. And here are some frightening statistics that I found, this time from the United States, but that I'm sure have got great relevance for us. And it's this. That in the next 30 minutes in the United States, 228 children will be beaten or abused. 57 will run away from home. 20 will attempt suicide. And also in the next 30 minutes, every 30 minutes, 285 will be victims of a broken home. We could go on, but we won't. It's enough to confirm though, isn't it, that a culture, a society that rejects God, that turns its back upon God, then falls apart. Values get lost. Even at times, values get turned on their head, right becomes wrong, perversion becomes an expression of sophistication. I mean, here's a thought. We live in a land where increasingly the, the elite, as they see themselves, the politically correct, are telling us, or they have been telling us for a long time, that marriage is now out of date. But so often. It's these same people who are promoting homosexual marriage, gay marriage. I want to say, work that out for me. I'm not making a moral judgment, but work that out. So as a nation, we are in a bad place. We are. And unless something is done about it, things are only, I believe, going to get worse. Isaiah 5.20 tells us basically that destruction is certain for those who say good is evil and evil Good. So, what then can we do? What finally is the cure for our moral decline? How can we go about putting morality back into our society? Well, Psalm eleven three says that when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? That we've got to seek to rebuild the foundation we've got to do our bit we've got to rebuild at the foundation level in our lives in our church and then on from that into the community for once we've got ourselves right then we can move on to there and we need to rebuild the foundation i believe with the foundation we need to rebuild i believe with god now why do i say that and what i mean by that Well, because the ultimate expression of truth, of righteousness, of goodness, is God. That's why. Because all truth, all righteousness, all goodness, ultimately springs from Him, whether that's acknowledged or not. So what makes something wrong at heart is when at its root it's anti-God, it's against God. What makes something right is when it's of God. For example, God is honest. So when we are honest, it's right. When we're dishonest, it's wrong. You see, when we are different from the character of God, our Creator, that's wrong. When we are like, though, when we are in line with the character of God, our Creator, then that's right. And where do we best discover the character of God and the demands of that character? Surely, ultimately... In the Word of God. That's where. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness. You see, we need to get back as God's people to real obedience to the Word of God. Not just living the way we've always lived, Not just doing it the way we've always done it or seen it done. No, we have got to get back to real, radical obedience to the Word of God. You see, as we begin to live like this, as we start the work here in our hearts, in our lives, then we will know blessing in our lives. We will know blessing in our life together as God's people. And bit by bit, we will begin the work of transforming our society. I mean, just one section of the the Bible out of many possibles, Proverbs 16 tells us that those who hear the Lord, who hear the Word of God, who seek to be obedient to the Word of God, that they will prosper, that they will be blessed, that they will know joy. So you see, today the bottom line is that there is a choice. There's a choice for every one of us here. And it's this. What are your values going to be? What's going to be the foundation for the way that you live your life? Is it going to be internal? Is your life going to be all about me? Are your values going to be me-based? What suits me? What makes me happy? Etc. Or is it going to be external? Is that where you're going to get your values from? Is your choice going to be to just do what this world does, to do what society does, to accept what they say is right, to just go with the flow, to just do what's popular and fashionable so I can be popular and fashionable? Or today, are you going to choose the eternal? Are you going to say today, my choice is going to be God I'm going to base my life on truth that is absolute universal and unchanging let's make the right choice today so that we can begin to change our lives God's church and our world let's pray together Father